0: Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the World Cycle series, Nalareth's Fear, finally an episode with a script. Thank you to Chloe, Max, and Elizabeth for voicing Jorg, Gal, and Fen, not necessarily in that order. This episode contains the edited texts of Nalareth is Cornered and Underground Towns, published on the 11th and 14th of December 2021 on my blog, worldcyclepodcast.wordpress.com. Enjoy. <laughs> The immediate hurdle for Nalareth's attempt at genocide, his desire to find discovery and somehow use that power to destroy the Kalnan who lived under Itar and Lythas, was actually getting underground. I'm sure you'll recall that most entrances to the underground in Lythas were unusable for Nalareth and the growing empire of Lythas. Either Nalareth had already destroyed the entrance, or it was small and guarded enough that no advantage of numbers would gain Nalareth access. I should say that perhaps if Nalareth had more of the army behind him he could have eventually overwhelmed one of the entrances, but he did not. Most of the armies of Lythas had steadily been called north over the last 5 or 6 years to fight in the war with Takara. The war was not going ideally, shall we say, and con Lythas's only solution was to bring more troops, to try to win by outnumbering the Takaran armies enough. But that is a story for another time, a story for next time, I expect. For now, we follow Nalareth as he tried to find a way to get underground. The people that had formed the clan of Nalareth were set to the task of trying to find an entrance and trying to find ways to get underground. But they were no more useful than the non-Kalnan people in Nalareth's armies. The clan of Nalareth was small, about 50 people, and they were famous. Even well outside the territory occupied by Lythas, the clan of Nalareth was known. If there was one thing that the Kalnan could be relied on, it is the quick spread of information. After a year of searching for entrances into the underground for Nalareth to use, the clan of Nalareth was down to 40 members and no closer to finding a way under the ground. In that time, Nalareth's anger had only risen and risen. For the most part, he took it out on the people his armies encountered in the expansion of as his territory. It was vanishingly rare for Nalareth to even attempt negotiation by now and any towns that had Kal'nan in them, or even nearby, were razed to the ground. If Nalareth wasn't there, and there were no Kal'nan in sight, sometimes towns could be convinced to join rather than besieged until they surrendered. But even on the surface, information spread eventually. The people that lythes encountered as it spread had heard of them. Some towns were empty by the time Lythas' troops arrived. Some were razed to the ground before Nalareth even got a chance. Some were filled with explosives. A couple of brief asides here, I keep mentioning explosives and I want to make quickly clear that I'm not talking about modern explosives, I'm not even talking about gunpowder or, for the most part, explosive powders. Though some of the ingredients for gunpowder are found underground, Kalnen explosives at that time were made primarily with oils and fats, along with magnesium and sulphur and activated by oxidising acid. I bring that up because, unlike more modern explosives, you always knew when these bombs were about to go off. They always had a fuse and so, not so infrequently as time went on, soldiers would march into empty towns only to suddenly hear a bubbling hissing noise and smell sulfur. Most of the time they weren't quick enough to escape. I might support the opposition to Lithas, considering I did fight in a war against them myself later, but it's better to realize that all these soldiers were people. Vinan and Jonan and very few Quenin. They were all people and an absolutely massive number of them were horrifically killed in the endless wars waged by the Lythes family and the clan of Nalareth. My second digression, or piece of additional context, is that as the Empire of Lythes expanded west, which was the vast majority of its expansion, not everyone who fled their homes ended up underground. A lot of people continued west to eventually form the nation of Setip, which I'm sure I'll cover somewhat at a later date. It was when Nalareth was caught in one of these explosive traps that he had an idea. He led a column of troops into an empty town accompanied by several members of the clan of Nalareth. They looked around, they tried to check for bombs, but they failed. It's still one of the problems with the reactive glass masks. They do hamper the wearer's perception a bit. Nalareth and his troops all heard that hissing, popping noise, smelled the strong sulfur fumes coming from all around them, They all pulled up as much magic as they could muster to protect themselves from the blasts. Eight buildings in the small town exploded. Not all at once, not all with the same force, but the explosions rocked the ground and leveled most of the small town's wooden buildings and set the rest on fire. Nearly a 100 of the 150 troops that Nalareth had brought into the town were killed or maimed. In the end, 97 people died from those blasts. As the ground shuddered and split, crumbled under Nalareth's feet, he had an idea. It might seem like the sort of idea that would be obvious to Nalareth, but it still took nearly being killed in a series of explosions for him to come to a thought. It took nearly being buried alive by the collapsing ground for Nalareth to have an idea. Nalareth was saved from being killed in that town by rushing into the middle of the column of troops that he was leading. All the people who survived had been toward the middle of that column. He was injured some, but he did not take so very long to recover. And while he was recovering, Nalareth set his affairs in order, so to speak. He had no expectation of dying. He was planning to return to Lythas when his genocidal mission was completed, but in the meantime, he needed someone to take charge. I didn't mention any specific members of the clan of Nalareth before now, because even the most important member played very little role in this story. But Azesh, previously of the clan Artej, played an extremely significant role in the expansion of life as after this story, and an extremely important role in the clan of Nalareth. Nalareth appointed Azesh as the acting head of the clan that bore his name. She was the leader of the clan for nearly 40 years before she died and passed the leadership to her son. By contrast, the clan of Nalareth had properly existed for about seven years by the time Nalareth went underground. It is much more the doing of Azesh that the clan survived at all, and thrived the way it did in leadership of the Lythas Empire. Azesh died peacefully in her sleep, surrounded by nearly 300 members of the clan that she had built. Nalareth did not die peacefully, of course, but that is either the story I'm telling now, or a story for a much later time. Nalareth picked the ruins of Danok for his plan. There was no reason for him to travel back there, no reason to pick the ruins of that town except for Spite. It was certainly not a good tactical idea. Nalorath reasoned that if the ground might explode under explosives placed in buildings on the surface, and if it would collapse along some fault lines along the lines of the tunnels underground when he blasted the entrances closed, then it ought not to be very hard to blast a hole in the surface where he wanted one. So Nalareth set people to digging holes down to the collapsed rocks of the old entrance that the Tarvi had used in Nok. He filled the holes with oils and powders for his explosives, and he had members of his clan set up addition funnels and the like to add the acid while Nalareth stayed at a safe distance. It was with an almighty blast, a shower of smoke and dust and shards of stone, that the ruins of Dinoch were erased from the world. It was with a deep and widespread rumbling that the ground started to collapse, that a massive sinkhole consumed the ground where the town had been, consumed the hills around it, consumed part of the woodland nearby. Nalareth did not flee from the sinkhole. He was already far enough away. Nalareth did not go into the underground alone, of course, but it made very little difference in the end. He went down with three scouts from the clan of Nalareth and 30 troops from the armies of Lythas. They climbed down the precarious side of the sinkhole that Nalareth had made out of the town of Dinok, and they dug their way into the tunnels and caverns of the underground. Here is the nature of Nalareth's mistake, as much as it was a mistake at all. The underground was not empty. It had never been empty, of course, but it was much less empty than it had been when Nalareth lived there. His inability to reckon with the existence of his foes led him to the ridiculous stunt of blasting his way through the ground under Dinok, I don't want to overstate Nalareth's abilities, but he could have dealt with the Kal'nan clan well enough. He wouldn't have won the fight, of course, but he could have fled. He could have escaped easily enough. But there were far more people down here now. Hundreds of thousands of people had been driven underground by Nalareth's expansion of the Lythas Empire, and it just so happened that the people Nalareth considered his greatest enemies lived very nearby. The town called Veselon-Tarvai was not the first permanent settlement in the underground. Of course, not all Kamlan clans had been nomadic even before the Ascent, and during the early days of the Ascent the old archives had been built. They weren't old back then, obviously. But Veselon-Tarvai, or Veserai, was the first large town built in the underground, and certainly the first settlement to be built alongside people from the surface. The town was not the origin of the tradition that towns had to be founded by a collaboration between at least two clans. That tradition was borrowed from some of the non-nomadic Kal'nan that already lived in the permanent settlements in the Depths. Veserai was not built only, or even primarily, by Kal'nan. The people from Dinok, and from all over what was now Lythas, provided most of the labour. And it was a mass decision, including from the majority of surface dwellers who built the town, to name it Veselontavai. And so the old town of Veserai had lamp posts with fuel reserves, had heavy shutters to close light inside the houses. It was built with light in mind, and it's still lit most of the time. To further digress briefly, though the people of Veserai weren't the only ones to eventually develop luminant glass, they were the primary reason for its development. Luminant glass is, for those few who might not know, the opposite of reactive glass. Where reactive glass darkens a person's sight, luminant glass brightens it. But to return to the story of Nalareth, Veselon Tarvi was not far from the ruins of Danok that Nalareth had just destroyed. Other towns were not far from the ruins of Danok, and people came to investigate. At the time, the only town bigger than Veserai on the continent it was under was Lythas. A lot of people spread out from Veserai to look into the explosion and find Nalareth. Perhaps not everyone assumed that it was Nalareth's doing, but most would have. Hundreds of builders and warriors and scouts spread out from Veserai and the other nearby towns to look for the source of the collapse and to fix it as well as they could in case it collapsed further. Contrary to the official story, or at least the official story from Lythas, Nalareth did not stand and fight. Nalareth and his subordinates ran. They dodged and weaved and left fizzing bombs behind them. They blasted their way through dead ends, and they fought as little as they possibly could. Even so, by the time Nalareth found himself in a dead end that his first bomb had failed to break open, he was down to only eight soldiers and two scouts. Hundreds of people lined up down the tunnel to get at him. Arrows and stones flew, and Nalareth hurled another bomb back down the tunnel and collapsed the roof trapping him and his now five subordinates in a small stretch of thoroughly sealed tunnel. Nalareth was confident, despite his cowardice. He had more bombs to make. He was sure he could carve through this dead end before the collapse behind him could be cleared. Why would he think that? Hundreds of people labored on the far side of that collapse. And so he was wrong, of course. With bombs and picks and shovels, the collapsed tunnel was broken open within half an hour. But the small opening was too much of a bottleneck to get past Nalareth's remaining soldiers, at least not quickly. Nalareth was confident, or he was overzealous. Nalareth's last bomb broke open the dead end, that much is true. It broke open the floor, too. It broke open the collapsed tunnel behind him. That bomb, particularly the debris it sent flying out of the collapsed tunnel, injured nearly 150 people. It killed five. Not all of them were Nalareth's own people, of course. One of the soldiers, trapped on the inside of the collapse, survived the blast. Nalareth pulled up all the power he could reach to protect himself, but he was overzealous, or he was incautious. He had been fleeing for hours, protecting himself from bombs and arrows and stones for hours. He was tired, and his bomb was far too big. He survived, of course, along with about three of the people who fell with him. Nalareth fell, maimed and bloody, through the dust and smoke and sulfur fumes of his explosive. He fell with boulders and shards of stone as sharp as blades. He fell into a large sulfur vent. He fell through air that burned. Nalareth and the other three survivors fell with shattered rocks and a plume of dust into the luminescent blood of the Great Worms. Nalareth was not the least injured of the people who fell, but he was the fastest to react as shards of stone and corpses collided with the brilliant orange blood of the earth. Nalareth drew his knife, and he wriggled through the viscous, glowing blood, and he found the other people who struggled there. He sank his knife into them, and he did his utmost to summon discovery with every stab and cut into the people who had tried to kill him, and the people who had tried to save him. Discovery can't be summoned, exactly, in the same way that a letter inviting you to an event isn't a summons. Nalareth couldn't summon Discovery to that sulfur pit full of the blood of the Great Worms. Discovery made the choice to be there, made the choice to accept Nalareth's invitation. They were curious to see what would happen, curious to see what Nalareth might discover of his own in their presence. Yogg and Gal and Fen were in that luminescent blood with Nalareth, They gazed upon his bloody, maimed, empty form, and they waited for something interesting to happen. Is he too far gone? We are quite certain. Nalareth tried to claw his way through the Earth's blood toward Discovery. He tried to speak, tried to cry out to them, but this was not his place. He was silent as his mouth filled with that luminescent orange goo. What will he reach for? What he has always reached for. Nalareth was sure that they were laughing at them. He was sure that they were laughing at his feeble, mangled body. He was sure that they were laughing at the pain he did not feel. Nalareth had not noticed that he was not in pain. He was too intent on his own suffering, too intent on reaching discovery. Who will it be? Who first? Obvious. Nalareth's bloody fingers gripped Yogg by its ragged clothes, and his broken hand tried to stab his knife into its chest. Yorg stared at him, and Nalareth could not help the shivering that overtook his body, could not help the trembling in his painless body as Yorg stared at him. It was laughing at him, he was sure. It was laughing at his feeble body. Nalareth, why are you here? Nalareth couldn't speak. His lungs were full of the blood of the earth. He could not explain to Discovery that he needed to be rid of the underground. He needed to be free from all these people who attacked his armies and laughed at his failure. Nalareth, why are we here? Nalareth tried again to push in his knife but Yogg's body was solid, was unyielding, and Nalareth did not have the strength. He could not explain that Discovery was here to help him, was here to enable him to fulfill his goal. Are we here to help this empty person? Are we here at all? Nalareth knew that they were laughing at him. His body trembled with anger. He was sure that that was why he trembled, anger and pain. He could not bring a wound against Yogg. He could not make it help him. It would have to be another piece. He clawed away from Yogg, clawed his way through the luminescent ooze, through the haze of his own blood that dripped into the earth. What do you fear, Nalareth? Is it failure? Is it embarrassment? It's not pain that you fear, Nalareth. It's not mm. anger, not violence. Is it disappointment? Is it powerlessness? Nalareth's knife sank into gall as if they were made from soft clay. There was no blood, no cut into flesh. The knife handle protruded from Gaul, and they did not react as Nalareth gripped their clothes and forced the knife further in. Is it disrespect that you fear, Nalareth? Do you fear you will be dismissed? Be forgotten? You will be forgotten, Nalareth. History will forget you soon enough. The handle of the knife pushed into Garl's flesh, and still there was no wound, no blood, just some being made from clay. Nalareth's hand followed his knife into Garl's body as he struggled to not pull away, as he struggled not to listen to them laugh at him. You will fail, Nalareth. You will be forgotten. You will be gone, Nalareth. Nalareth was pulled into Garl's body, pulled into the clay that made up that piece of discovery. He could not struggle, he could not escape, he could not let go of his knife, and he was gone. And so was Gal. of course. Nalareth might have been maimed and broken and empty, but he was not nothing, not quite. He might have been mostly forgotten by the history of the empire he helped to create, but he was not nothing. Lythas liked to call what became of Nalareth and Gal by the name of war, but we ought to know him as fear. He lived a long time, and it was only when he became war that the empire was ended. That, of course, is a story for a much later time. Fear sank himself into the stone of the underground, into the vast world below the surface. There he ripped and tore at the rocks like a child, having a tantrum. There he tore and ripped, and Discovery put things back together. Fear reached and reached for Veserai, for the towns and villages that had disgorged with people to hunt him. Nellarith, you will fail. You reach too far. You are here for one reason, fearful one. Fear screamed and raged and could not oppose discovery. Of course he could not oppose discovery. What if he fought him? So he reached higher and he ripped and tore and squished the rocks and earth like a child playing with clay. He patched all the holes that led to the surface world. He sealed the underground under Itar so that no one could ever run down here and taunt him with his failure. And when fear was finally done, he returned to the surface world. He returned to Lythas to take back his place. But he found that he couldn't ask. He found that he hid when anyone might see him. He found all these people laughing at him, laughing at his failure to destroy the Kal'nan. And he ran back underground to hide from their taunting laughter. Of course, that's why he earned the name of fear. But he didn't stay afraid, unfortunately. Next time, I will finally discuss the war between Lithez and Takara. Until then. Thank you for listening to this episode of the World Cycle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Chloe, Max, and Elizabeth for lending me their voices. If you like my work, you can find my writing at worldcyclepodcast.wordpress.com, where I don't post daily stories anymore, but I still post stuff. If you prefer, you can follow me at worldcycle.tumblr.com, where the stories get cross-posted and I reblog a lot of shit. If you're some kind of maniac, you can follow me on Twitter at the WorldCycle. All these links, including, for once, the link to the full text of the episode, can be found in the description. Until next time, remember that most people aren't laughing at you. Bye.